Are you ready for the end of the world? <laughs> you are listening to Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. The circle of friends, the circle of family, the circle of being. <laughs> Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. You are listening to your community spirit on your community radio station. This is Or the Energy Mon in the house. And this is Tree Song, also in the house. And I might seem a little energized today because today is the first day the days get longer. Yeah. I am like looking forward. I don't actually like heat, <laughs> but I like light. Yeah. So and here comes so, the sun. So here comes the sun. But first, we have like a week of completely and totally, hopefully, winter. Yeah. I'm kind of excited. Winter is coming. Lots of cloudy weather, below freezing. There might be a chance of snow. Yeah. Who knows? We might actually get winter. Why do I like winter? Well, that means summer's coming. (laughs) It kills off those nasty bugs if yeah. we get a couple weeks of below freezing. That is one of the yep. good things about yep. winter. And we have a CD that I'm going to play a couple songs. Ring it in. Songs of Peace and Justice for the Holiday Season. We'll be right back. Tell us where your factory 
You are listening to Your Community Spirit. Walmart is the number one employer in 25 states in the U.S. And so they do a little something bad. It makes a big deal. They do a little something good. That will make a big deal. So let's see them. <laughs> it's just like. Yeah. So, all right, let's get to some of the news here. We have This is Fine, which is, they, that, have you seen the comic online where it's like a person saying this is fine and the whole room around them is in flames, but they're just staring blankly and they're saying, oh, this is fine. No. <laughs> That's what that title is based on. I would beam it to you through the radio waves if I could. But this is fine. 2017 would be the warmest year in history without an El Nino. Data released separately by NASA and uh, NOAA on Monday show that on every continent and in every ocean basin, remarkable warmth has lingered planet-wide from last year's record-breaking heights. No matter what December might reasonably bring, 2017 will almost certainly end up as either the second or third warmest year since humans began keeping close track more than 120 years ago. Every major independent assessment of global temperatures confirms 2017's lofty warmth. This year will fall short only of 2016 and possibly 2015, both of which were affected by a strong El Nino, which tends to boost global temperatures. The United States is on track for its third warmest year on record, with eight southern states from Arizona to Virginia. Maybe uh, that's why I'm celebrating the fact that maybe it'll get a little cold. Yeah, it does seem weird. You know, I've, I always have these mixed feelings in fall and winter where it's such a beautiful day outside and I celebrate the beautiful day, but then I stop and think, wait a minute, this isn't the right weather for this season. It's the middle of December and it's... In the upper 50s, what's happening? Well, this is what's happening. <laughs> so only a tiny section of eastern Washington state is on pace to record cooler than average year. So you know there's some climate denier somewhere in eastern Washington who's saying, oh, it's been a cold year, there's no global warming. <laughs> but all the rest of the world is, is experiencing the trend. Last month's formation of a La Nina in the Pacific Ocean will likely lead to slightly cooler global temperatures in 2018. Regardless, next year is still likely to rank among the top 10 warmest years on record. And that's one of the things that's so stark about this, if you think about math and know about math, is like we keep having the top 10 years being closer and closer to the present day. It's a sign of just how much we're warming. Well, I mean, the main thing is, is that they're just consistently hot. I mean... You know, if they had one hot year way back when, it was just a little blip in the yeah. middle of a bunch of regular years. Now it's consistently getting hot in here. So, oil. How about butter? Wait a second. France's ban on oil drilling could keep 5 billion barrels in the ground? For a country that already imports 99% of its oil... France's decision to end all new oil development and phase out existing projects by the year 2040, wait, <laughs> yeah. that's not too far away, may not seem all that meaningful. The Guardian called it a largely symbolic gesture. But actually, as geoscientist Eric Clementi noted, France is committing to keeping a massive oil reserve they're being greedy. They're just keeping it all to themselves. <laughs> keeping it all to themselves. It's just like, they're, what is it? Being conservative. It's like you save it for later, right? Yeah, they're conserving. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Paris Basin, a region in northern France, may contain nearly as much underground petroleum as the huge Bakken Formation in North Dakota. 
extracting that oil and gas would require extensive fracking. Clementi calculates that France could extract 100 years' worth of oil for the country by fully exploring the Paris Basin, which could contain, according to the top estimate, 5 billion barrels of oil. At current oil prices, around $58 a barrel, that's worth about $290 billion. Now, instead, France decided to say au revoir to oil and gas altogether. Earlier this year, the country also announced it would ban internal combustion engines. I was almost said agents. Agents, (laughs) Just like the secret agents bringing in the internal combustion engines by 2040. With decisions like this, France is positioning itself on the right side of history, and it's sending a message to the world that's floundering on climate change. A more just and prosperous future is possible and doesn't require the dirty fuels of the past. Yes, exactly. And I'm glad uh, we found this article about it, because the, the Guardian article does make it sound like it's pretty much a symbolic thing, which, you know, they get almost all of their oil from imports, so it seems yeah. symbolic. But when you do the math and you realize... Wow, that's five billion barrels of oil that they could have taken out, and we know now they're not going to do it. Then that is huge when you think of it. Well, that it's way. symbolic in the fact that you know they have no plans to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <Just like that. laughs> yeah, that we know of. But but this will make it that much harder if someone comes along and says, "Hey, let's get that oil." Right. They're going to have to repeal these laws, and ho- hopefully that will not happen. So, what does the title mean? Oil? How about butter? I don't know. Just like Maybe they're talking about ghee, <laughs> clarified <laughs> butter from France. I don't know. I have no That's idea. That's a good question. So. I guess maybe the French are producing butter instead of oil. <laughs> so here's some other news. Electric trucks begin reporting for duty, quietly and without all the fumes. But apparently a little bit of fanfare since there are articles about it. From Vancouver to New York, from Paris to Tokyo, that delivery truck outside your home, the rumbling motor, the belching fumes may soon become much quieter and cleaner. Electric trucks are driving out of factories and into service, and multiple vehicle companies are gearing up to make them. The result could be a significant reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, especially if the deliveries turn out to be cheaper than old-fashioned diesel engines. In the United States, more than 6% of greenhouse gas emissions emitted in 2015 were from medium and heavy-duty trucking. Transportation, including trucking, was responsible for 14% of emissions globally in 2010. So it's kind of a big deal, even if you're just switching over these medium and heavy-duty trucking. If you switch a lot of them or all of them, that's a huge impact on emissions. Because trucks need so much hauling power, they have eluded electrification until recently. A battery that could pull significant weight would itself be too heavy and too expensive. But now improvements in battery technology are paying off, bringing down both size and cost. Already buoying passenger car sales, the trend is now boosting the EV truck market, says Lisa Jerem, a principal research analyst for Navigation Research. Electric technology for big, heavy vehicles has also gotten a boost from smog-savvy city governments, investments in electric buses. According to a recent report by Jerem, the number of hybrid electric and electric trucks is set to grow almost 25% annually, from 1% of the market in 2017 to 7% in 2027, a jump from about 40,000 electric trucks worldwide this year to 371,000. That's a pretty huge jump. In recent weeks, announcements of pending leases by a United Parcel Service and advance orders for a newly introduced model from Tesla 
have signaled that big players are stepping into the market. So lots of trucks going out there that are electric. And also in other countries, too. Uh, China's BYD already has electric trucks on the road. Daimler's Mitsubishi Fuso is expected to be rolling out soon. A lot of smaller companies are launching electric trucks in local markets. And when we're talking trucks, we're talking the semi-trucks. Yeah, semi-trucks. The semi -trucks. big ones, because, I mean, you know, the U.S. Postal Service has had their, you know, delivery trucks for 15 years. The ones that have set routes, a lot of them have been electric. The post office has had a lot of those. Yeah. Now we're talking, like, the very large trucks. Yeah, the large semis. Yep, so... Why do we call them semi-trucks? It's not like they're partially a truck. They're the big <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess they are partially a truck if it's just the front, right? Yeah, I that's think that's the semi. That's the semi. And then the trailer, and together they're a truck? Yeah. <laughs> it's, like the it's like Voltron. All the pieces come together, and you've got this powerful device. Siemens Gamnesa starts building hot rock plant for long-duration grid storage. What's a hot rock plant? Sounds exciting. Stick around. Siemens Ganesa, the world, the wind turbine manufacturer, began building a 30 megawatt hour precursor to a gigawatt scale thermal energy storage system this month. The future energy system, first announced last year, is expected to come online in early 2019. It will use industry standard heaters and fans powered when there is a surplus of power coming into the grid to heat a thousand tons of rock up to the temperature of wait for it 600 degrees celsius when needed i wonder where they store that yeah that's pretty hot <laughs> you're like, not gonna hold those rocks in your hand you, you're like how come our local mountain is starting to glow red yeah when needed, the heat will be used to drive a 1.5 megawatt Teams turbine feeding electricity back to the grid. I mean, this is a big issue for the grid is storage. Yeah. Because, I mean, um, power plants, period, whether it's coal or um, any engine, they can't throttle them back. They're pretty much like full bore or they shut them off. Yeah. There's a few of them that cost a really lot of money that they can throttle them back maybe to 80%. But the majority of power plants, they're all full on or full off. And so yeah. if the energy is not being used, it will burn up all the wires. Yeah. If, you know, so... so it takes a lot of complex math and engineering to keep the whole thing running. Correct, yeah. The plant, being built on a site owned by aluminum smelting giant Trimont in the Ethelin Weirder Container Terminal quarter of hamburg it's going to be in the city mm, yeah a 600 celsius rock in the city of hamburg germany yeah well, hopefully they did the math right on their insulation <laughs> just like i just this is someone's gonna have to make a movie right now about this that you know someone the disaster just, movie <laughs> just like yeah um no i'm just yeah well these things are exciting i'm always a sucker for these kinds of projects because it takes sort of a basic physics idea of let's heat something up when we have the energy and then take the heat back when we need it. And that's an idea that anybody can have, but then actually doing it takes a lot of engineering uh, expertise. Well, the ones I have seen, what they do is during the day they take solar power, the heat, you know, sun makes heat and light. Yeah. And so it takes the heat and focuses that on... Uh, 
tower of salt. Yeah. And salt stores the energy, and then they have they take that energy, you know, during the off-peak hours, and they produce, you know, with the heat. Because most power plants produce heat. You'd think they'd come up with a more efficient way of making electricity. Yeah. But the majority of them, they produce heat with burning coal, um, b- nuclear, solar, um, geothermal, and they take that heat and they produce steam, and the steam turns a turbine to make electricity. Yeah. So. So this way they're using the electricity to heat the rocks, and then the rocks will later create steam just like those other places. Right, whenever there's excess electricity. And in Germany, they've hit quite a few times recently where they have excess electricity produced by wind. Yeah. Um, That's when they pay you to buy the electricity. (laughs) Yeah. So they're expected to store enough thermal energy in this um, plant in Hamburg, northern Germany, to deliver electricity for up to 24 hours. Now, the round-trip efficiency in the system will be around 25%, potentially rising to 50% if the technology is scaled up to triple-digit megawatt levels. Some people will think 25%, that's not very efficient. A car is, someone told me, less than 10% of the actual energy goes to move the car forward. So we, yeah. we, we have things in our society regularly that we use that aren't very efficient. Yeah, and it's a lot more efficient than if you held a, a lighter under a rock and tried to do it yourself. <laughs> so it sounds like they're, uh, th- you know, this is a smaller test project, and then if this goes well, they will build a huge one. Smaller in 30 megawatts. <laughs> 30 but, only 30 I mean, megawatts. As know. far as the grid goes, but as far as my house goes, yeah, I, wouldn't, I was going to say I wouldn't mind having a giant heated rock, <laughs> but I was just like, I don't know. We've got coal mine settlement here, and we've got... Um, what is it called? Earthquakes? I don't know if I want to have a giant hot heated rock <laughs> under my house. Yeah. But someone around here can do it. All right, so let's see what we have. In other news here. I completely breathed the sign of relief <laughs> for this. Yeah. Up until Friday, they had no incentives for renewable energy. Well, they had $49 billion for... Um, fossil fuels yeah fossil fuels gets a lot out of this you know um and they had taken all the renewable energy go for it yeah Uh, the tax bill preserves critical tax credits for wind solar and electric vehicles so it may do a lot of other horrible things to our entire society but it's preserving some critical tax credits the booming renewable energy industry breathed a weary sigh of relief as congress voted this week on a sweeping tax bill that ended up preserving critical tax credits for wind energy solar power and electric vehicles, though the industry still has concerns about other provisions. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of other provisions in the bill, not just the ones affecting solar. As lawmakers worked over the past week to resolve issues between the House and Senate versions of the bill, the clean energy industry kept a keen eye out for the details of the legislation, including provisions from the original House bill that would have weakened or eliminated the tax credits for renewables. Honestly, I wish we didn't have any incentives, <laughs> but that means for anything create a, f- a truly free market economy. I mean, if you go to any other country in the world, fossil fuels cost twice as much because they're not subsidized. Yeah, or they subsidize less. We do a lot of subsidizing for them here. Uh, they are sending a message that they won't back attempts to kneecap the ongo- ongoing growth in renewables, despite pressure from the oil and gas industry to scale back incentives for clean energy. 
Now, of course, you know, the, the oil and gas industry don't want any of that fair uh, competition you were talking about. They want a bunch of incentives for oil and gas and nothing for solar, so that solar is kneecapped. Uh, but that's not the way it's working out at the moment. The, the credits have stoked growth in wind and solar, which for the first time this year provided 10% of the country's electricity, while jobs in clean energy are among the fastest growing in the country. Didn't we re recently report that renewable energy jobs are more than both the coal and the fossil fuel industries combined? Yeah. And so they were trying to eliminate the incentives for the biggest and fastest growing job market. Yeah, and the growth rates for those industries are still huge. Like they're, they, That's part of why the oil and gas industries are fighting for these things in Congress is because they know if it's just left to market forces at this point, oil and gas is going to gradually go down and renewables are going to go on the rise. And they don't want that. <laughs> so even as the bill maintains the status quo for clean energy, however, it hands a major victory to the oil and gas industries thanks to an unrelated provision to allow drilling in part of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, a long-time goal of many Republicans and pushed by Senator Lisa Murkowski from Alaska. So this is, it's still unclear if anyone's actually going to do the drilling there because it's, it hasn't been drilled so far because of the technical and economic difficulties of it. But the fact that it's open now puts it at risk. And we're already struggling to reduce emissions, so here we are opening up a new source of emissions. Doesn't seem to make any sense. Well, someone thinks it might make some dollars. <laughs> it so, might make them some dollars. You know, people are willing to compromise their integrity in the world for money. I mean. Yeah. Uh, the bill maintains the production and investment tax credits for wind and solar, phasing them out according to a timeline agreed to by Congress in 2015. So basically the 30% tax credit existing will go down to, you know, every two years will go down 4%. Okay, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, they're like, we've jump-started the solar industry long enough. Let's just, you know, phase it out. Let's just phase it out and walk away. <laughs> but still keep the fossil fuel subsidies. Yeah, wait a second. How come? They're established industry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why don't they do a sunset on all of the fossil fuels uh, subsidies, too? That's a good question. So the, the industry does still have serious concerns about a provision that threatens key funding source for renewables. But overall, the industry is expressing relief. And the House bill, the House did pass the tax bill uh, this week. And the Senate's... Uh, passed it as well. The, the House passed the tax bill. No Democrats supporting the bill at all. Yeah. And, and the Senate passed it strictly along party lines. I mean, it was just 51 to 48. Yeah. So. And the 12 Republicans who opposed it in the House, I'm sure it had to do with some of those other non-solar related awful provisions we were talking about. Well, it seems like the new way of doing any bill now is you produce a bill that has almost nothing in it and then see who raises the biggest stink. Yeah, or who gives you the biggest donations. <laughs> or, you know, that's a stink, right? It's yeah. like whoever causes the biggest fuss, and then you put their stuff in the bill, and, hey, we've reformed. Yeah. That's how you get something like the tax bill that has all these crazy provisions added to it that aren't even directly related to taxes, but they slip it in there because they can and because somebody paid them money to or complained to them enough. All right. Yesterday wa was the darkest day. From now on, we're thinking light and improvement and moving forward. The light is returning. It's <laughs> just like um, solstice and festus. 
yeah. is upon us. This is the time when people traditionally celebrated making it, what, halfway through winter? And they're like, hey, we got enough food to make it through the rest of the winter. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. We've got food. The sun is eventually going to return. Good times. And Festivus, a holiday for the rest of us, is coming up tomorrow. Oh, this one didn't make it on there. I think today is, is uh, Human Light Day, the day for humanism. Uh, we should add that to the calendar next year. So we also have National Chocolate Day coming up on Sunday the 24th. National Eggnog Day. I bet those are both related to Christmas Day coming up on Monday the 25th. And coming up is Boxing Day, which is... <laughs> Similarly to how Christmas used to be, which is about expression of appreciation and thanks, you know, um, the holiday goes back to the Middle Ages, and it is the time when pe people would take uh, presents and give them to the less fortunate. And so um, that is celebrated the day after Christmas in the rest of the world. Is it always just the day after Christmas? I think so. You know? Yeah, I'm not sure. And so it is still the time of giving to the less uh, fortunate and needy. And that could be, just to let you know, family members. Yeah. Okay? That means don't yell at the family members. Remember, <laughs> Try to be everybody else is less fortunate than you in some way. You might not know it. Yeah. Well, and it says here some people will celebrate it on the first weekday after Christmas. But it is traditionally the 26th, the first day after. All right, and happenings. We have uh, actually not too many happenings this time because people are busy with the holidays. But speaking of the holidays, there's a film showing. It's a Wonderful Life. It's showing Saturday at 2 p.m. at the Varsity Center. This is a special matinee screening of the beloved holiday movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And it's... You know, honestly, I don't know if I should admit this on the air, but I don't know if I've ever actually seen the whole thing. Because I've always seen it on a TV somewhere during the holidays. It's always playing somewhere. But I don't think I've ever sat down and watched the whole thing from start to finish. So this is your opportunity to do it on the big screen on Saturday at 2 p.m. at the Varsity. Girls Rock After School. Wednesdays, 3.30 to 5 p.m. They are taking a holiday break December 27th and January 3rd. What do we all do during the holidays? We rest and relax <laughs> and visit oh, family. That is what should happen. Eat a lot of food, relax, do all those things that you said you wanted to do and haven't done. I would say if you can do it right, have what they call a staycation enjoy a lot of the things that we have in our area. Yeah, you can stay in your own area and enjoy everything instead of running around like a chicken with your head cut off and doing all the things. <laughs> all the things. So we want to thank you for all these years of listening to our show because we enjoy doing this. Some reason, somehow, every week we get up here and share information. I was going to give them our email, but I'm having a little problem with the email. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, you can email mine at treesong at treesong.org. Hopefully easy to remember. Thank you very much, and we'll go out with a little bit of sunshiny music. See the sun now, brightly shine.